0: Leviosa, not Leviosa. I don't know why that came into my mind.
1: Is this how I are starting the podcast this week?
0: Yeah, let's go with it. Well, I feel like we're always watching Harry Potter at some point. Which one did you and Sammy get up to? Was it Deathly Hallows Part One? Deathly
1: Hallows Part One. How are you I don't finding think it? I don't think we finished. We're going to finish it off today, so I'll let you know how I'm finding it. Is some of it's quite funny. But I just some remember that one there. being
0: quite like harrowing because you know they like
1: obviously he dies. Oh, yeah, fuck. I forgot Dobby about that died. until just now oh my god I'm not finishing it I don't want that kind of negativity in my life right now and
0: also they try and make like I feel like they try and make a climax out of like obviously Dobby dying and then oh. ending up in the mansion but obviously it's not so then you watch like part two and you're like okay like this is where the story was leading do you know what I mean it's definitely kind of like
1: no but I. it's I not really like, like the
0: biggest arc because right. obviously like it's meant to be one book so the I climax see. of the book, like, obviously they have to make, like, almost like a false, like, climax of the movie.
1: I see. Anyway. Um,
0: so I just don't think it's quite as good as part two. But anyway, sorry.
1: Anyway. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Open House, the podcast all no, about Harry, Harry Potter. <laughs> ha- the, the podcast all about uh, Harry Potter, specifically Deathly Hallows part one and two, where we discuss the nuances of the book versus film there adaptation. definitely a million of those already, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, if you like chats about Harry Potter and about just general ridiculousness that Clancy and I get up to, you should follow us on Instagram yeah. at Open House Pod and on Twitter at under underscore Open House Pod, and feel free to send us an email um on talkopenhouse at gmail dot com because this is in fact today is in fact the season two finale. I was gonna <gasps> say this is a
0: big day. This is a the big, season two finale. This is a big day. Um, Yeah, it's the season two finale and we are sitting down to talk to Nadia Craddock, who is a body image researcher. And I mean, like, I just find the whole thing super interesting because obviously, like, everyone's affected by society and everything society feeds into us from such an early age, subconsciously, consciously um so I learned so much Me too. I was so yeah Clancy
1: was like oh my god Mel she was like yes go and do more degrees and such I was like oh <laughs> Mel my god out I, of was, the conversation I was so being inspired like, I want
0: to do a master's and I was like
1: do it I was like I want to be Nadia and write a PhD but like in all seriousness just genuinely like the stuff that I learned and the stuff that I was like there's there's so much more to learn I was just like I want it all I want all of the knowledge I want to yeah just yeah it was great it was yeah. really great as you can see <laughs> um, we me. talk
0: a lot about body image and uh also the second conversation crosses over and and as does the first actually into uh eating disorder territory so we talk about eating disorders in people of all sizes however you exist in the world um and Nadia also mentions mentions a fantastic charity um that if you're struggling with an eating disorder that you can go to and that charity is beat so look them up
1: Guys, I was going to say the number, but I can't find it. We so can leave it. We can leave um, their website, which is beateatingdisorders.org.uk in the, um, what's it called? What do we have? In show notes. the show notes. Yeah, That's I love one. how I
0: was like, and um, if you are in- interested in getting in contact with BEAT, you can
1: Google them. Yes, you can Google them. Their helpline number is 08088010677. But all of that information will be in our show notes they also have a general inquiries number and, and all of that kind of stuff so we'll leave it all in the show notes so that you have it all there but it, you've heard us say it now so but
0: bam <laughs> um and just a trigger warning we are going to speak about eating disorders and eating and health and size um and everything in between so um if you're not ready for a conversation like that at the moment which is completely understandable and if you're not ready to listen to that conversation then we will see you for season 3 I was
1: going to say that but I feel like that's a
0: spoiler yeah fuck it for season 3 we'll see for season 3 let's be honest we're not going to stop now Nadia is so super clever and you're going to love it oh you are she's amazing should we say enjoy the show together really eagerly
1: we could
0: enjoy Enjoy the the show. show
1: to open house the podcast all about having those difficult conversations ever had to hash out funeral plans with your terminally ill mum, or ask if your dad is really your dad we have and we want to chat all about it join me Clancy, and me mel as we open up and get into some nitty-gritty details like therapy but cheaper this is open house Hello everyone! Welcome back to Open House. Hello, welcome! I'm so happy that you're all here with us today. So happy, Clancy.
0: Mel, I'm happy that you're here with me today. I've missed you. I've
1: missed you too, guys. We're not together today. I am. What? I am far. What? I'm far away from Clancy today, which is a, a sad time had by all.
0: But Mel is being a fancy actor doing a secret, top secret, secret, secret project.
1: Yes, I have been. Um, kept out of the country until but I'm back I'm back on Monday so soon but it's all very exciting Uh, but what I'm even more excited about who do we have on our show today Clancy? Oh my god
0: um one of my podcast idols um and just general like life people that I'm like they're so smart and they talk about really smart things and I'm so excited
1: that they're on my zoom right now it's it's Nadia Craddock everyone Ah! (laughs) I'm so stoked. Hi, so Nadia is a body image researcher at the Centre for Appearance Research UWE Bristol, where she is currently working across a portfolio of body image projects in Indonesia in partnership with the Dove self Esteem Project and UNICEF. I mean, so fancy. She also has
0: not one, but two podcasts. We don't even have the time for one. I don't know how she has time for two. <laughs> the body Protest and appearance matters. Please welcome to open house the wonderful and very clever Doctor Nadia. Woo! <laughs>
2: Thank you so much. That was such a lovely introduction. You can keep going. I'm enjoying yeah, we'll myself. just keep, we'll keep going. Oh, we'll like, we will. read out some
0: reviews. <laughs> um,
2: Nadia, Nadia, how you
0: how you going? How's um your your fifty fifth lockdown?
2: Hmm pretty um i I don't know it's like i literally don't even know what to say about it anymore it's fine it's fine i am going swimming later so now we can be (gasps) outside and do outside swimming that's so
0: cool. That is awesome. There is like a reservoir, like not that far from where we live. And I really want to go. But whenever I look at like pictures on Instagram of people going, they've got like full on wetsuits. And I'm like, do I have to do that in order to swim? Oh my so it really puts
2: me off. I mean, it can be pretty cold. Although I have to say the pool that I swim at is heated. So I'm, um, you know. Just to winning. clarify, Nadia <laughs> is
0: not doing extreme sports.
2: No. Very moderate at everything. <laughs> well...
0: Nadia I mean that we already know is not true um you are very talented at lots
2: of things but we'd love to if your game play two truths and a lie Yes. oh my goodness yes I'm ready are you ready so I actually wrote these down so I can see if I can do it without um giving the game away so oh one I sang at opening day of the Red Sox game in Boston two I play the cello and three, I once met Amelia Clark at a party and I spoke to her for about fifteen minutes without knowing who she was, and I asked her if she was a writer.
0: <laughs> I really hope that was true. And I'm I sure if that. it was that she I'm sure she would have really appreciated the um the feeling of anonymity, actually. Um I'm gonna say uh, I always do this, and sometimes I get it really wrong. But I'm gonna say number two. I think you play another instrument. I'm gonna say number two is the lie. I think you maybe play like the
2: violin. What about you, Mel? What was the first one again? <laughs> I sang at opening day of the Red Sox game in Boston. I mean, yeah,
1: like... I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think you can sing. I think you did that, and I think yeah, I think you also maybe play Check another instrument. Say oh yeah
2: okay put us out of our misery okay okay so you're both correct i do not play the cello <gasps> yes. yes however i also cannot sing so the fact that i am <laughs> opening day of the middle, it's the most hilarious thing to me i can ever think of it's the mo- it's so surreal to think that actually happened how did you end up in that position please um, yeah so a bit of context is, is definitely required so I obviously did not sing on my own because as I said I cannot sing and not just being self-deprecating like I can't I know my limits Um it was with a group and so we were living in Boston two of my friends auditioned to be in this choir for it's like a charity group and they were going to be singing at the Red Sox and I was like oh that's so cool but there's no way I'm going to go and audition for a choir because I can't sing so I'm not going to do it but you know good I will come and support you it'll be like so cool and then they closer were getting closer and closer to the event, and then there was just they were just like looking for extra people, so I just walked up to one of the rehearsals and said, "Can I join in?" and they're like, "Yeah, sure, sure Absolutely. So i, just, I love was that. there and then so it was this whole big group it's for the jimmy fund it's like a children's cancer charity, so one of my friends was working with this charity, and um we what was really funny so there was children and adults and then me and my two friends were like right at the front center because we were a bit smaller than some of the other adults so we had the children in front of us and then there's us three and there's all these people at the back
0: and were you just like living at large like giving full jazz hands like yeah
2: yeah that's
1: amazing was, uh, that's such, quite a moment that is such a moment and moment of your um of of the situation with uh telling a certain someone that they're asking a certain someone whether they were a writer please how did that happen
2: um, <laughs> yeah so again it's like I can't, I should have figured it out but I tend to be oblivious to my things. so <laughs> I was at a book launch for the blue book so it's a book related by Scarlett Curtis um why it's not okay to feel blue and other lives and has yes, yes, it, a lot of It's a massive book. And um so I had done a um a piece of the book as had many, many other people. So then there was a an event, a party for, for the launch of the book and I'm trying to think how many people were there, but I think most people who had contributed to the book were were there. So I knew there were gonna be a lot of people who were high profile or whatever, but I was just there and I ended up talking to some people and then I was talking to her and I was kind of, it's kind of interesting because there were other people who were all like crowding around. Horrifying. <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> again, that should have been You're a like, clue. Do I right, that should have been really good today? <laughs> I know, but that should have been a clue that like, oh, maybe they're interested in this other person. But I was like chatting away, <laughs> asking her about loads of stuff. Um, you're like, I'm on fire tonight <laughs> I know, I know, look at me, a social butterfly and um, <laughs> like later with hindsight like all these other people were like, just waiting so they could speak to her and um, yeah, but had no idea and she was talking about um, a book that she was compiling or, or something and um, so I was just like, oh so, you're a writer then she was like, hmm, she, she was very very sweet, I have to say, she was very um I think that's a good sign. I think it's like she was very sweet. She was just like, "Yeah, I do that bit of bit of acting, bit of you know, casual." <laughs> just, just oh my say, gosh! Like, By the way, I'm Amelia Clark, and I am like one of the you know. That is
0: the Notting Hill moment.
2: Person.
0: That is the moment in Notting Hill where you know Julia Roberts' character rocks up to the 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 party. The house veggie. party, yes. The house party, and they're like, "So what do you do? <laughs> oh, tough life of an actor. Say like your last film. How much did you make?" Like she was like. Five million dollars. And he's like,
2: oh, (laughs) okay. I know, I can't believe it. It's just like old stereotype, clueless academic who lives under a rock. (laughs) I
0: love it, I love it. And I'm sure she would have appreciated the the moment of normality too.
1: Um, Shall we crack on with your difficult conversations? Are you happy to do that? Are you feeling warm and ready? Okay. Yes.
2: Okay, so my first one, I and I actually found this quite difficult to do because oh several many different difficult conversations and try to pick what would be kind of interesting and and useful perhaps to talk about. So the first one is very much in relation to my work and it's that so and so as you said before, I'm a body image researcher, do a lot about body acceptance, right, and promoting positive body image. And it's that classic question that people come back with is well what about health when we're promoting body acceptance or promoting positive body image regardless of body size and people every time and (laughs) it's like it's so common and it doesn't matter who it is at what setting I'm where we're talking is that people come back and be like well what about health and are people promoting and just before I say this word it is a stigmatizing word so we don't want to use it too much is um is obesity so are you are you promoting obesity by promoting positive body image so it's a difficult conversation for sure and it's as I say I'm asked it so much and you would think I'm I would be better at giving the answer but I think it's it's so, there are so many parts to it and it's so complex, but I think, I'll see if I can break it down. So the first thing, so if I'm talking about body acceptance or promoting positive body image, I think we need to understand exactly what positive body image is. So positive body image is not just thinking you look great, it's a much more holistic construct than that so it's about body acceptance, body appreciation, um, respect, care and trust for your body. It's a number of different things so it's kind of that emotional how do you feel about your body, how do you think about your body and then how do you how do you look after it, how do you treat it. So Then what we see in the research, if we look at negative body image and positive body image, when people have a negative body image, so they don't like the way they look, they are maybe very preoccupied with their appearance, we see a lot more negative health outcomes associated with negative body image. So everything from depression, disordered eating, anxiety, not engaging in healthy lifestyle behaviours compared to when we look at positive body image that's associated with looking after your body, eating well, eating intuitively, exercising for pleasure and for fun. So I think there's this, first of all, there's this idea that you need to kind of hate yourself into being healthy. that, That doesn't work. So actually liking and appreciating and accepting your body is you're more likely to look after yourself and look after your body. So I think there's that misconception and then there's just so much in this idea that your weight is the biggest indicator of your of how healthy you are and I think that's probably the the bigger part of this conversation so there is a very big assumption that just higher weight categorically equals poorer health and we know that is untrue and so it gets this is where it gets a little, um, you have to kind of be a, a bit nuanced. So when we look across the weight spectrum, like people can be unhealthy across the weight spectrum. And then, but then in general, if we're looking at really general trends, people at very, very low weights, there's a, a link with that low weight and, uh, and, and health conditions. So like osteoporosis, for example. And then at very, like at the really extreme end of, of high weight. So there are um, patterns of, of other like health conditions but and here's the thing is there's and this is where it's like so difficult we so one there's the factor of weight stigma so when people are stigmatized about their weight that stigma that prejudice and discrimination is going to on its own regardless of someone's actual weight on its own is going to um or is associated with negative health outcomes so it increases your stress levels it's associated with disordered eating it's associated with anxiety depression etc all of these things that are unhealthy so we have this weight stigma aspect and I don't know I think one of the simplest ways of thinking about it is like we all know someone who is thinner right someone who has got smaller body who doesn't look after themselves so I think it just gets so tied up in um and this is terrible that I'm not explaining this very well, <laughs> but like it it's so um tied up in in lifestyle behaviours. So we we associate body size with lifestyle behaviours, and that's not we can like debunk that straight away when we think of our like a thinner friend who like smokes, drinks, um, never exercises, doesn't eat a vegetable, right? Mm-hmm. And then so we can't make that assumption that someone who lives in a higher weight body does any of those things. Yeah. Like it's not
0: yeah, it, I can see the intricacies of that. It's like weight can be correlated with unhealthy behavior, but isn't necessarily not,
2: not unhealthy behavior. I would say, right? Um, well, it's 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 complicated. I wouldn't say weight on its own is associated with unhealthy behavior. I think it's like what is the driver to unhealthy behavior? So is weight stigma the driver to unhealthy behavior? Right. Is um, is there a, um, something else that's driving unhealthy behavior that's maybe associated to, to weight? And so yeah. I think so. other parts of this conversation, it's like, so we have this big thing about, like, well, what about health? Um, but when we look at the research and when we kind of zoom out a little bit, lifestyle factors like diet and exercise don't really contribute to a huge amount in terms of your health outcomes. They contribute a bit. But they're not massive, bigger things that contribute to your health outcomes are things like, and what we in public health spaces call social determinants of health, so things like um, access to healthcare, education, housing, what environments are you living in, um, access to food, job security. All of those things have a much bigger influence on someone's health outcomes than whether you eat five fruit and veg day and whether you work out this is revelatory
0: yeah i'm having an awakening in front of this screen this is fascinating and clearly we've all been so misconstrued by certain social media trends and what is trendy and that like like you said that like active lifestyle persona that like Mm. makes you feel like you're part of like a healthy community that you're doing good things for yourself or is that like self-care
2: yeah well no well don't get me wrong I think of course like eating fruit and vegetables and exercising are good for you like yeah. I'm, and I think that's like another thing that's like a misconception when we're saying like talking about positive body image that it's like oh well you then don't have to care about your body Like, no of course like mm-hmm. Like, those are good things. I would never say to people, like, oh, you should stop exercising. Like, no, you, know, you should never yeah. exercise. Like, you should never eat fruit and vegetables. Like, of like that's has absurd. No right? That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's, like, ridiculous. But I think you have to zoom out and be like, well, if people are not exercising, for example, do they have time in their day? Are they working three jobs, like, where they actually do not have time to fit in exercise? Are yeah. they, if they're an what we see a lot with people who work nights for example their diets tend to be worse and this makes real intuitive sense I don't know if either of you have had to stay up really late on an assignment or or something when you're staying up late what do you what's your go-to food source it's sugar right like yeah it's like you need something that's like gonna be like give you that immediate boost to like just keep you functioning oh yeah so there's there's all of that, and I think then we can also talk about BMI and how problematic BMI is, so body mass index, and how that's just it truly doesn't really tell you very much about someone's health. Oh no, right? like, not at all. It doesn't. So then it's like this whole conversation about weight equaling health. It doesn't. Like how do you know that someone who weighs X and then is this height, and then you do a little equation between the two, like what is that telling you about how healthy they are? um yeah it's so it's
1: so worrying like just just on that a small very quick anecdote I like my I remember especially when I was younger I ate very little had not a great relationship with with food and the whole like um uh what, what am I saying the whole uh uh industry that I grew up in and through probably doesn't help with that but um but my my bmi was probably always on the like lower end but was always sort of just in the category of probably considered healthy but if i look Mm -hmm. back and look at how i like what i was eating or what i was not eating or the amount of exercise that i was doing in comparison to what i was was consuming and genuine generally my um my health as we're looking at it now as we're speaking would not have been in correlation to that figure realistically if they would have if they would have looked at it obviously they sort of just did calculations and have a fairly high um, muscle ratio so it probably looks mm-hmm. as if I'm potentially um, you know that potentially could have pushed me into that more healthy bracket but if I look back I was not a healthy individual very far away from it which is is wild to even think that that small equation is sort of dictating a lot of where we see that that health word come from it's wild
2: yeah Yeah, completely and i you know just hear so many of those kinds of stories and it kind of ties into um people getting access for eating disorder treatment and things like that as well and then you can kind of look at it at the flip side and there's people who might and it's like how bmi is categorized and so when we so we have like this underweight category and then a normal or this is all in like inverted commas because it's like normal or healthy weight like mm. what does that even mean and then we have like that the higher weight categories so the overweight etc and it kind of goes up but there are plenty of people in that over like again quote overweight category who are really healthy and healthy in terms of not just in terms of their lifestyle behaviors but in terms of like when you look at their blood work when you look at their cholesterol like all of these things like they're really like spot on like they'll have it you know they'll go to the doctor and it'll be like a good bill of health so it doesn't like that kind of doesn't add up at all and then Uh, yeah I mean I just think like then it's kind of interesting to think where BMI comes from it's like it was developed it was like created over 200 years ago or or thereabouts and by a mathematician it's not it was never designed to be an individual measure of health and then the categories were actually first Put together by insurance companies to then work out who they 're going to give um, how they 're going to allocate insurance
0: i so where I grew up in singapore mm. i they 've got very um as part of like <gasps> secondary school and primary school there 's very rigid um markers of health so every year you do a a fitness test and so it's like these stupid stretchy things and then you've got to do a like um you've got to do a 2.4 kilometer run and you get like a band like depending Mm -hmm. on how fast you run it and like and all this stuff and then you get your BMI checked and and but in primary school I'm laughing but it's terrible um in primary school I don't know if it's based on BMI or if it's just based on like visual aesthetic they put you in TAF club which is basically that in reverse TAF club oh. and they just make you run around at lunchtime primary school students primary school and some of my friends were like yeah i was in TAF club and i was like what the fuck is that and i'm like that is abhorrent
2: yeah and you just think what's the like psychological implications of that, that right yeah but like, that, that's and you hear so many stories of people who even were just weighed in school and maybe if they were higher than people in their class and how that has like stayed with them like 10 20 years on and like the, the feeling of shame related to that and that's I mean it's just it's so upsetting and it's like if we don't need to do it we don't need to have that focus like focusing and that's where all of these public health campaigns it's like what are you trying to achieve like we've had all these of these campaigns like aiming at like population weight loss for decades it's achieved nothing it's achieved absolutely nothing we don't have a population that is healthier as a result so like why are we still like flogging this ted horse i think we have to like really like have a big question mark over that it's like it doesn't who are you helping and is it just like yeah what like why like why is that continuing when it's not helping
1: yeah that's yeah that's a. um just on because obviously or oh, clancy you mentioned social media um I just Mm -hmm. wonder if um because obviously say you have these conversations about sort of what the actual definition of health is for want of a better Mm -hmm. word and I just wondered uh, as you're you know somebody on social media and um and you have podcasts so you're sort of in the digital world so to speak in Mm -hmm. this world whereby we're sort of populated with this wellness aesthetic in this you know very specific um aesthetic version of health Mm. do you get a lot of sort of questions or do you get a lot of people sort of um asking you things because they they feel like they they can because you know they see your title and they see the sort of work that you do and um and if so how do you how do you sort of have these conversations that are so nuanced um but yeah but sort of yeah well that's sort of two questions do you get a lot of mm-hmm. questions firstly by people that they might not have this sort of idea of what you know what we spoke about health today and if so how do you have a nuanced conversation when social media is so populated by health wellness do loads of exercise
2: mm-hmm. um interesting question so i would say on social media i don't think i get asked that much okay um i and i don't know if that's because my account isn't big enough or the people who follow me are kind of on the same it's a, it's a bit of a bubble so yeah they're on the same wavelength or from reading a couple of my captions you're like oh okay got, got it got the memo and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna touch that so on social media I'd say no it's more in um settings where I don't know it might be a, a panel or a, a talk or a presentation when we're talking about body image to educators or to policymakers or to i don't know it's like it's that and that's where people are like oh yeah but you know if we promote positive body image aren't we gonna increase people's body weight it's like the general panic and um and it's interesting you were saying about health and aesthetic and like health is not an aesthetic mm. it's like we have to really like decouple those two things they're completely completely separate um and then talking about something nuanced like this on social media it is hard it's not something um you can do in a soundbite and as you saw from my above ramble about trying to how like how to have this difficult conversation and all the different pieces and components to it it's not i like i've been talking about this for years and i still don't have like a a really clean and neat way of packaging it because i also know where people are coming from right so it's not it's not just like because it should be, it should be really simple. It should be, health and weight are not the same thing. End of conversation. But I know that what everyone is told repeatedly is you need to be a healthy weight. You need to be a healthy weight. And that's like, and we're told you need to... Higher weight isn't healthy and there's a lot of fear and... um prejudice against higher weight so that's just constantly pushed on people so mm-hmm. i think if you're coming from that starting point you kind of need to start unraveling that rather than just being like no sorry you're wrong um <laughs> next <laughs> um, yeah you, you have to you have to do it yeah yeah i think there's the other thing of being like i don't live in a larger body right so then it's in some ways it's easier for me it's not emotive for me in the same way where I have friends, I have colleagues, I have people who, who live in larger bodies and like you have, they have to keep arguing for people to respect them. It's not even um, saying that they are healthy or not. It's just like have some respect. Like Have respect that this is who I am and how my body is and leave me alone. And actually telling someone who is in a larger body to lose weight is so detrimental. Even if that person does lose weight, doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be any healthier we have to look at how they're losing weight most weight loss is unhealthy um generally speaking but even if um yeah people lose weight that's not they're not categorically going to be like that's it they're going to be a healthier person as a result and that whole shame that comes into that weight loss conversation is so destructive that it's not worth it and then we also see from like the science of all of this is that going up and down in your weight so what we call weight cycling or yo- yo-yo dieting that is worse for your health than just being like a steady higher weight so actually leave people alone let them like live their lives and they're probably going to be better off for it and it's mm. that thing if like if you really care about people's health like why not ask what their cholesterol is or like why not ask like i don't know like there's like a TikTok that I saw the other day about and, um I'm far too old to be on TikTok but I do enjoy it. Um there was a TikTok and it was this woman and she was like, um she'd had the vaccine, the COVID vaccine and she was um I'm so jealous. Off, I she was of higher weight and she was like, <laughs> Look, I've had the vaccine and I mean it's so good and I can't I'll have to find it to um to see exactly how she worded it. But it was like also you should be pleased for me because I'm in her words like i'm fat i've had the vaccine therefore i'm healthier so are you happy are you happy now like you've you've worried about my health for years look at this i've got the vaccine i'm you know i'm good this, i've got this is, like, this is like a healthy quote thing right but it's it's looking at looking at it like that like are we really do we really care about people's health when we're yeah. Quote worried about people who are in larger bodies, or do we just not like fatness? And
1: um, this is almost, almost on the, um, on a, on a different on the uh, on a different edge of the sword, I guess. I was listening to your most recent um, podcast episode with Dr. Bryn Austin, and um, mm-hmm. as we've been talking a lot about quote unquote healthy weight, um, and kind of linking to what I sort of said before, it really um, baffled me how. Um, difficult access to um eating disorder healthcare can be and disordered mm. eating healthcare can be for all ranges of different people and um I know you've already spoken about it on that on on that podcast but i I'm just intrigued mm. for us to sort of um, speak about it here um, do you think that comes into play with what we no, as quote unquote healthy weight, and do you think that's the reason why that that healthcare is hard to access because we have this very specific view of what what that is? Do you think that they correlate? And thoughts on that in general for you?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question, and abs- absolutely, I think it's a piece of it. I don't think it's the whole story, yeah. but I think it's it's absolutely a, a piece and. um Lots of people who go through treatment for anorexia, for example, like the goal is to reach a quote healthy weight. But again, what what is that? Yes. What is that? And there's there's problems sometimes with target weights because sometimes when people weight restore, it might be higher than your target weight, and that can be really challenging for people because they were like, I was told I need to get to this weight, and that's what will be healthy for me. But actually, my body wants me to be somewhere else, and that yeah. can be that can be really challenging. And then what we have seen and it's really there's really been a spotlight i think this year on it but it's it's not new is how people get access to treatment for eating disorders is that there is so often this weight threshold to to access treatments so that people get turned away because they're like oh you know your weight is not low enough and what happens then is that people get worse or they really dig their heels in it and think like to think especially to come forward to say that you want help for an eating disorder is a big thing it's it's challenging because you're kind of confronting your eating disorder by doing that right because your eating disorder is like no we want you to stay like like this but you say so you're challenging your eating disorder by coming forward saying that you want help and then to be turned away at that point to say like mm, yeah sorry you're not really sick enough that's completely playing into that eating disorder thought that like yeah you're not really thin enough are you you really should lose a bit more weight or whatever and that's where people we see so much will then dig their heels in either because they're like they're so desperate for treatment they're like well for me to get treatment I need to lose another x many kilos pounds whatever or they're like well see I'm not sick enough so that and it's just it's yeah it's absolutely it's so upsetting but I think the other piece to that is so people are calling for like scrapping those BMI thresholds and for access to care, but I think we also need to again think of the bigger picture that eating disorder treatment um and research is so underfunded. So even when people so I know people who work in eating disorder treatment and things, and they it's heartbreaking for them to turn people away, but they their their hands are almost tied in in the respect of like the, the beds are full or they don't have any more capacity in terms of time so again that's where you need uh, more resources and then again that kind of really points to we need to be focusing more on early intervention and um prevention as well yes it's yeah i mean it's yeah it's, it's rough but it's um yeah it's rough and there's so there's so much more that can be done but what i think is useful to remember and i think that's what brin really hit home is that eating disorders are preventable and they are treatable so mm. i think we just need that access to care to happen mm. and also more focus on the prevention side of things and i think like no one needs to die from a, from an eating disorder like, no one does but you know sadly it happens and eating disorders are among like the highest mortality rate of all mental health conditions so um there's yeah a lot of a lot of work to do on that i think yeah for sure and
1: you should definitely check out that um that episode for anybody who's listening who hasn't because i listened to it um I've listened to it again uh, this today, and um, I learned so much, and it's really wonderful and really brilliant. So um, yeah, go and check it out. I'll leave it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, and just before we move on, I want to say thank you for bringing your like plethora of knowledge to us. Like, I think all our listeners will be so grateful for all of this information. I'm here, like, wow, taking it all in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm learning so much. So grateful.
0: um, I I am aware we're going to run out of time. So actually, I think. I think let's move on. Shall we do that? Because I wanna I wanna dig into this next one. So Mm -hmm. if you're ready to introduce your second difficult conversation, I am I am ready for this one because I have seen this a lot on social media.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, so this is a really tricky one and it's kind of where the professional kind of creeps into the personal. So the question or topic I suppose is about before and after pitches with eating disorder recovery. Um, perhaps particularly with anorexia and I say talk about this as someone who had anorexia for a very long time was in treatment for a very long time and so I understand the the nuances of this from so many different perspectives so and so you kind of know what I'm talking about with these before and after pictures right so you see the very gone emaciated person on the left and then you see the kind of less emaciated but generally still thin um person on the right and it's this celebration of recovery and so it's really hard because obviously we want to celebrate everyone's recovery like it's a it's a huge thing it's very difficult to do it's taken a lot of effort and perseverance and will so we want to be able to celebrate that but what those pictures often do is two things one, that before image can be quite triggering to people. So the, the kind of emaciated person on the left can be triggering. It can also serve, and this is where social media gets, it's like how people are using different content. So it can serve as a goalpost for someone. So if someone is currently struggling with an eating disorder and then they're like, and they're, they're kind of debating of like, am I sick enough? Am I thin enough? Da, da, da. And then they see those kind of pictures and they're like, oh, well, I'm not as thin as that person. So I won't get treatment until I'm as sick as that image. And then and then when I get to that point, then I will like start my journey to recovery. So it sounds, and um, you kind of have to be in the head of someone who's struggling, but that is something that, that happens more often than you would imagine. It's like, it happens a lot because you're kind of, people are trying to work out where they are if they're sick enough and then especially if you kind of compound that with people being turned away from treatment because of their bmi or whatever it's you're kind of looking to like oh let's see how bad i can get before i try and integrate changes but then we know that the worse or you know, the longer that you've had an eating sort of for not necessarily the um yeah I think the the longer you've had it for the more patterns become entrenched and ingrained and it, it becomes harder to like undo those patterns like like with anything if you've done something for 10 years to stop doing that thing becomes very hard it doesn't feel natural anymore so even if you really want to you're like I just don't know how to like how to like move these steps so I think that's one thing so you've got the triggering part it becomes the goalpost part and then the other thing is that those images often perpetuate unhelpful eating disorder stereotypes. So not everyone with anorexia becomes very emaciated thin. Um, Not everyone recovers to a thin body. Um, And I think from that point of view, it's really, again, just unhelpful in terms of, like, they're the images that we see the most in terms of conversations about eating disorders on social media and like anorexia is the least common eating disorder there is but it gets the biggest spotlight um so there's that and as i said as well is that a lot of people have anorexia and they don't get to that very very emaciated state because it also depends what your starting point is right so if you are naturally have a smaller body and then you lose a set amount of weight you're going to look quite different to someone who is naturally has a larger body and loses exactly the same amount of weight but what happens with that person who's in a larger body is that they typically are rewarded and praised for losing that set amount of weight where the the patterns <sighs> of behavior the cognitions everything else if you just looked at the those things that what how they're thinking how they're feeling what behaviors they're doing they are just as disordered just just as destructive as the person who started in an an originally smaller body yeah a, I don't as, sorry you go on
1: no I I feel like we might potentially say the thing same thing I don't want to put any sort of words onto um this person's journey and what they did and and how mm. and how that came about but it's how it's um I'm sure you saw on social media when Adele posted a picture of mm. of herself just just, just just a nice, a nice picture. Of, you know, I think it was a selfie, or someone had taken it from far away, or whatever. And it was just her, and um, loads of people had so much to say, so much to say because um, they'd seen a picture of Adele at, and it seemed to be a lot of weight-related things. They'd seen Adele at mm-hmm. this weight, and then they see, then they saw Adele um, with you know a different hairstyle or whatever, or and at a different weight. And there was just so much talk about that and that's all that people cared about and it was all that people were talking about and I was just like this is it's 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 just not helpful (laughs) like just like people just deciding that they have permission to comment on and all all this person did was post a picture of themselves on their birthday or something do you know what I mean anyway I just thought I'd put that out there
2: yeah we just a, a quick thing for me on that on the topic of Adele and you know I have no idea of of her back yeah. but I think what that shows is how people react just show how far we have to go on this conversation because all of that conversation about this person who m- most of us do not know right I know. but her the conversation on her weight is just highlights that we are all looking and we are all observing people's weight all the mm-hmm. time and like we need to that we need to stop that yeah. um as side yeah, i was gonna
0: say what is the impact of someone in a larger body who has an eating disorder and loses a lot of weight being congratulated for their efforts because it so often happens when someone in a larger body loses weight and they're like oh my god you look amazing like what does that do to a person's yeah, well, psychological it's... process of their like and
2: how does that affect their recovery well it's like a reward thing isn't yeah. it you're like oh brilliant um it perpetuates the eating disorder it's like it reinforces the behaviors so even if they are and obviously not everyone who loses weight has a has an eating disorder yeah but but for someone who's got an eating disorder has lost a lot of weight and they are they started off in a higher weight body and even so and and they've had that congratulations well done it reinforces all those behaviors so even if they're like oh i kind of i know what i'm not doing is right but look at the reward i'm getting it's worth Mm -hmm. it so again, and that's and as I was saying before, that the longer you have these patterns of behaviour, the the more entrenched they are, the harder they are to like break free from. So um, it's really destructive. And I think if you're saying that to someone who's of a higher weight, and then you're saying to someone who's again maybe engaging in the same patterns of behaviour, the same cognitions, the same thought processes, is, is kind of going through the same thing but started off in a smaller weight body and then with that person you're like you need care we need to scoop you up and look after you again what is that saying to that person of a, who started off at that higher weight point and then for that person who's at that higher weight point when they've had all that they've lost the weight they've had all that praise and reward from it when they go to recover how hard does that make recovery because you're going away from all of that praise to something that people vilify you're going back to a body that or you're going t- towards the body that people are like oh but what about your health and so how it all ties back like right, it becomes very um yeah it's it's hugely problematic and there's not been that mu- that much research done on it but there's been a few studies more recently that it's not necessarily the absolute weight that you get to we see the same health consequences of of that weight loss, of like how much your weight is compromised. And when we're looking at the, so it's kind of you have to look at the behaviours, you have to look at the thought processes, you have to look at all of those things when you're thinking about, you know, how how kind of quote sick someone is. Um. But yeah, kind of going back to the before and after pictures, I think I think one of the reasons it becomes so complicated I think one of the other pieces to it is that people want to and I'm saying this also from from experience in some ways is that people want to um maybe justify their maybe no maybe it's not justify prove their that they were sick that it was like okay look I was ill and now I'm better or they want and again from personal experience and it's i know when i have posted and i have done it a couple of times and every time taking it down i've posted a picture no there's a pictures i will not post i've always been i will not post pictures when i have been where i look and i look at myself and i'm it it frightens me and i don't i don't like those images they make me feel um they are like triggering and upsetting to me so i've there's like kind of a set of pictures that i would never post There are pictures, however, from like a a 10-year period where I'm like, well, you know, I don't look too bad. And so with those, you're like, oh, but you can still see that I look very different to how I do now. That it's like, almost you want to say like, look, see, this was a thing and I'm now no longer there. And it's kind of, there's something about validation and there's something, an external validation and there is something... I know when I have done that, it has been times when I have been feeling maybe more insecure, mm-hmm. more unstable. It's been like a little I felt a little bit like wobbly, and you're like, "Oh, that, this, is a, this feels like the time I want to post that and then you and then guarantee I've, n- I've not done it before and after, but a, like even just a picture from when I was ill. Um, you, you get a lot of nice messages yeah and um and it's something i've had to really pull myself back on and be like okay if i need something if i'm feeling insecure i need something like this is not where i go to social media for i need Mm. to this is where like i call a friend or something i don't know do something else like this is not something for social media because again like that those images are just generally not helpful
1: yeah I was gonna I was gonna say what do you think is sort of the um, how does how does the image being triggering and potentially being harmful to um, the sort of to the consumers of social media out there how much does that um, weigh up in comparison to the person in questions need who is going through um, Mm. who is going through an an eating disorder who feels the need to post that what 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 do you think happens there and what outweighs what or it does it at all and how do we sort of deal with that and combat that does it need to be combated thoughts basically
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and that's why I think it is like it's I think I've picked two two conversations that I think are really difficult like I think what if someone doesn't have that support network and especially through this whole like lockdown thing what if you don't have um all like immediate quick fix alternative like for that instant validation that you you want um and I think I think it's it's complicated I think generally when I see those pictures I think because of the place that I am at it doesn't bother me um but I know other people it really bothers, right? So I think, I think it's hard. I think there's, a, a, it normally shows, I think, something about someone who's maybe quite early on in their recovery or who is still kind of feeling the way or kind of, we see, we see those images the most during like each sort of recovery week or whatever. Um, and so there is something about raising awareness and, whatever but can we have those conversations because normally what accompanies those before and after pictures are really amazing captions so how can we have those captions without the images we know i think that's the other thing we know eating disorders are very competitive so when i was saying before about that um people use the before image as the goal post i think that's where some of that drives it so i think it's just can we have a conversation about knowing that you can absolutely talk about your eating disorder. I think that's, it's. I mean, it's. you don't have to, it's up to you. I've always kind of um, toyed with whether I should talk about mine or not, um, particularly given the work that I do. Um, but I think on balance, it's, at this point in time, it's useful. I don't know if I will continue to or, or not, I don't know. But I think it's not that people cannot speak about it um, and can't wear uh, raise awareness or can't seek that validation and say look I used to really struggle and now I've like I've made progress or or whatever whatever the conversation is that you want to bring it like, can we do that without having the, the images mm. and there are people who are like pushing for and have of like made sexy hashtags or whatever and it's like you're not the before and um people have done the kind of side by side but not having a before right. image um and just had the after like this is me now and that's all you need to care about it, it should be enough that people just can describe their journey in the words that they want and do that but it's it's difficult i understand why people do it yeah um but i also see how problematic it can be and harmful it can be especially if you've got a public account it's open anyone can find that um and we know that when people are unwell they often are seeking things to drive the illness yeah and that can be used
0: Yeah, I have so much to say. But I'm also very aware that you have a whole day of fun to get to. So Mm -hmm. I just want to say a big thank you, Nadia. It's been so lovely to meet you. And I hope that when uh, the pandemic is properly over, and we are jabbed up, we can get a drink in a pub and uh, chat. Because I, I um, miss socializing (laughs) Oh no! Yeah, I, please, would. can we be friends? Yeah, <laughs> See, I am. We're yeah, having the contract drawn like, up now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. This is. <laughs> yes. I was like, if you've been on someone else's podcast, like, surely that's it, right? Yeah. You're then friends. No, like, that, that, is you. <sighs> like that, that is
1: it.
0: That is it. That is it. That is why we ask yeah. people we think are cool
1: on that's amazing on the note of your podcast um Mm. before we finish firstly is there anything that you came here to say that you didn't get chance to and secondly anything that you would like to plug
2: yeah thanks for asking so something i didn't get to say but would like to two things bring to mind so the first thing is that everything I've said comes without judgment rather it's really more of an invitation to think more critically about weight and health and about how we present eating disorder recovery online so as I said no judgment but more of an invitation Um I certainly don't get all of this right I learn from lots of other people Um I am still learning I will continue to learn but I think it's the message is really, once we have learned that something we do is harmful, how do we then respond and adapt so we stop causing that same harm? Um, even if the action was well-meaning, was, had good intention behind it, if we repeatedly hear that it was harmful to someone else, what are we then doing to change? So that's the invitation. And then the other thing to say is just to anyone who's currently struggling with an eating disorder, I know it feels so disheartening when we hear so many stories of people getting turned away from treatment, but it really, really is worth the fight. So I'd really encourage you to go and speak to your GP, go and speak to your friends, speak to your family, speak to your partners. There are also lots of good websites, so the eating disorder. Charities, so in the UK we have Beat, and they have lots of different support offerings that are freely available. So I would go and seek those out also. So, yeah, just to encourage you to take that first step and things to plug. So, as you said, I co host two podcasts. So, the first one is one that I do for work, it's called Appearance Matters, and we look at the psychology of how people think and feel about the way they look. And the other podcast is The Body Protest, which I co-host with Honey Ross. And we combine storytelling and science to better understand our relationships with our bodies. Amazing.
1: And it's brilliant. You should definitely listen to it. We'll leave all of that information in the show notes, including how to access BEAT. And, I'll re- and we'll reiterate everything that you've said as well about getting help as soon as you as soon as you can for eating disorders in our intro as well so that that's loud and clear for everyone to hear and thank you Gorgeous. for saying that as thank well thank you i appreciate it <laughs> this has been open house with me mel low and me clancy ryan music by glenn clark